Thank you, Don. We are in our series, Vision 2020, where we're taking a look at um, different topics that will help us think about the coming year um, and where our church wants to go and where we sense the Lord leading us. Um, I shared with you at the beginning of this series back in early August that it was not my intention, and it still is not, and I will not do this, to tell you what I think God's saying that our church ought to do. I'm listening for God to speak to you. Um, my anticipation and my hope is that he's going to share with you where he wants the church to go and that this is going to be communicated up from you through to our elders, to myself, and then we'll be able to share that as a congregation, find the consensus of where the Lord is leading us. So I share that with you in anticipation that God is going to speak to you. And I want for you to be listening for God's voice in the coming months and the coming weeks. Um, we are continuing. Last week I talked about Galatians chapters 1 and 2, and we took a look at the life of the Apostle Paul. Let me share with you really quick a little diagram that shows Paul's life. He, in Galatians chapters 1 and 2, kind of shared his autobiography, his spiritual autobiography, that is his journey with the Lord, and how he was, how he was born into the world, and then he became a Christian, and became born again. And then a little bit later, um, he went to Jerusalem uh, for the first time to meet some of those who were apostles. And then 14 years later, he comes back to Jerusalem a second time. So it's been a long period of stretch there between uh, when he came to Jerusalem the first time and the second. And he came in response, he says, a revelation in Galatians chapter 2. And he goes on to tell us what that revelation is. He says that I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. This is Galatians 2.20. Um, but it is Christ who lives in me. And then he goes on to describe in Galatians chapter 5 what Christ in him looks like. It looks like the fruits of the Spirit. It looks like love, looks like joy, looks like peace, looks like patience, gentleness, kindness, and self-control. All these sorts of things that had eluded Paul throughout much of his life. I mean, he was a guy who was pretty angry. He was a guy who'd fly off the handle at people. He was somebody who had separated husbands and wives and thrown the husbands in jail, had Stephen stoned to death. I mean, this was a guy who had some real issues. And now he goes on to say, but my life has now been characterized. I've now been defined as somebody who is loving. At the core of who I am is joy. What emanates out of my life is self-control. And that's a real transformation uh, that happened in the life of the Apostle Paul. One of the things that happened in Paul's life along that journey, as he's moving toward Galatians 2.20, is this idea of surrender, that he surrenders himself to the Lordship of Christ. That is, that he gives Jesus, his life over to the Lord Jesus to be used as as Jesus's hands and feet in the world. And so today, that's what I want to talk about. I want to get specific here about one of these things that was um, important in Paul's life to get to that place of Christian maturity, to get to love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. And it was the idea of surrendering himself to the Lordship of Christ. So that's our topic for today. We're going to be in Acts chapter 20. If you have your Bibles, you can flip over there. Let me give you just a little bit of background of what's going on in Acts chapter 20. When Acts chapter 20 opens up, most of that chapter is a speech that Paul gives to the Ephesian elders. Paul's on his third missionary journey. We've got a map here for you. Paul's been traveling around through Asia Minor, makes his way over to Greece, and then from Greece he travels across the Aegean Sea to the little uh, island, island town of Miletus, and then he, or Miletus, Miletus, yeah, thinking about lunch already, right? Miletus, and then he goes from, and, and he sends word, because it's not very far to Ephesus, he sends word to the church that he had planted in Ephesus, hey, have some of the leaders of the church come out and visit with me while I'm so close by. So they come out, and they visit with the Apostle Paul, and so Paul shares in Acts chapter 20, 
some words of encouragement with them, some words of, uh, of departure from them. And some of the people are really concerned that the Apostle Paul, um, something's going to happen to him because uh, Paul's got this, this, this offering that he's bringing back to the Christians in Jerusalem. And so some of the people in Ephesus are concerned that something's going to happen, something bad's going to happen to Paul. And so Paul shares some words, some final thoughts with them about his, what he wants, you know, what's the driving value in his life. What's causing him to say, hey, you know what, no matter what happens to me, uh, it doesn't matter because my life is surrendered to the Lord Jesus. So let's uh, stand to our feet. We're going to read Acts chapter 20, just a couple of verses, verses 22 through 24. Acts chapter 20, verses 22 through 24. And this is part of Paul's speech again to these Ephesian elders, the driving issue of his life. Here he goes, Acts chapter 20 and verse 22. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. You may be seated. So I just want to kind of go into these verses and look at them in particular to see what's going on here. Um, let's begin at verse 22. It says, And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there. So the Apostle Paul, again, is determined that he's going to go to Jerusalem, despite the fact that some of the Ephesian elders had said, hey, look, maybe you shouldn't do this. Maybe this isn't a good idea. The political climate is really bad for you. They're not going to receive you well when you go back to Jerusalem. Paul is determined that he's going to go to Jerusalem. In fact, another chapter later in Acts chapter 21, as Paul's making his way down toward Jerusalem, he's crossed the Mediterranean Sea, and he's now in Judea, and he's, he's crossing over land. Um, in Acts chapter 21, uh, some people try to convince Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. You're, this is not going to go well for you. Acts chapter 21 and verse 11 says, and coming over to us, that is to Paul and to the people who are traveling with him, Agabus took Paul's, I'm sorry, verse 10, let's skip verse 10, while we were there staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, verse 11, and coming over to us, that is to Paul and to everyone who was traveling with him, this guy Agabus took Paul's belt and bound his own hands and his own feet with the belt. And he said, hey, look, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt. That is, who's gonna, they're going to bind Paul the way my hands and feet are bound with the belt that belongs to Paul. Um, now, this is a prophetic word that's being shared from this guy named Agabus about what's going to happen to Paul when he gets to Jerusalem. And so these Christians are very concerned about Paul. They feel like there's a sense of finality about Paul. When you go to Jerusalem, that's going to be it. Nobody's ever going to see you again. You're going to get rubbed off the face of the earth. Execution is what's waiting for you. And look at the response of those who are traveling with Paul. Verse 12, they hear this. And so they say, when we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go to Jerusalem. Verse 13. Uh, then Paul answered, what are you doing, weeping and break, breaking up, breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be in prison, but to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus, verse 14. And since he would not be persuaded to go, we ceased trying to convince him and said, let the will of the Lord be done. So the point here, friends, is that the apostle Paul is determined that he's going to go to Jerusalem. He doesn't care about what happens to him in Jerusalem. He's on a mission. His life is surrendered over to the Lordship of Christ. And so Paul's speech, back to Paul's speech, Acts chapter 20, verse 22, says, And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there. Verse 23, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me that in every city that, in, that he goes to, imprisonment and afflictions await me there. Now, this is very intriguing to me, that not only does the apostle 
Paul know that if he goes to Jerusalem, this stuff's going to happen to him. But the Holy Spirit's telling Paul, this is what's going to happen to you. It's going to happen to you in every city that you go to, in every place that you go to preach the gospel. There are going to be afflictions. You're going to be thrown in prison. You're going to have all sorts of terrible things that are going to happen to you. And so the Holy Spirit gets ahead of Paul and says, hey, Paul, look, I want you to know up front what it is that you're committing yourself to. I want you to know up front what it is that you're getting yourself into. I want you to know what you're surrendering yourself over to. Look at what Paul goes on to say, verse 24. It says, but I do not account my life of any value, talking to the Ephesian elders, not as precious to myself. All that I want is that I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. That's it, Paul says. That's what I want. Paul is saying that he has totally surrendered his life to Jesus, that the only thing he wants out of life is to be a faithful soldier. Paul is not concerned about self-preservation, is he? He's not. If he was, he wouldn't go to Jerusalem. I mean, the guy even shows up and ties his hands and feet with Paul's belt and gives a prophetic word and says, this is what's going to happen to you if you go to Jerusalem, Paul. Paul's not concerned about his own creature comforts. The only thing that Paul cares about is doing his duty as a follower of Christ. And so Paul sees or says to these Ephesian elders, fellas, if you want to be a mighty servant of Christ, if you want God to use you in an awesome way, then there's a non-negotiable principle that you have to surrender to, and that is you have to surrender to the lordship of Christ. That is that, that he gets to call the shots on what happens to you, and that you don't argue about the consequences of that. All right, well, that's as far as we want to go with our text for today, and so that means it's time to ask the question that we ask every week around here, what difference does all this make to my life? Uh, you say, Gordon, I mean, I appreciate the history lesson and these guys kind of crying and blubbering all over one another, but how does that help me pay the bills? How does that help me get the kids off to school? What difference does this mean to me? Well, that's a great question. Let's see if we can answer that. Andrew Murray wrote a book about 100 years ago called Absolute Surrender, and in that book he says, and I quote, in Scotland, as a young man, I was once in the company of people who were talking about the condition of Christ's church. There was in our company an older, godly gentleman, and I asked him what he thought was the greatest need of the church and of God's people. And the older, godly gentleman responded with these words, a very simple statement. He said, the greatest need is absolute surrender to God. That is the one thing. Andrew Murray went on to write that these words struck me as never before, that the condition for obtaining God's full blessing is absolute surrender to him. God is looking for those who will say, oh God, I will accept your terms. Lord, anything for thee. Murray concludes, if our hearts are willing to do this, there is no end to what God will do through us and the blessing he will bestow upon us. End of quote. Now, um, for just a moment, let's take a time out here and consider this topic of total surrender and define it. Like, what exactly are we talking about when we talk about surrender? Well, I think there's no better definition of what surrender is than what we find in the Bible. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, Paul writes these words. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. So this idea of presenting your bodies as a living sacrifice ties into the Old Testament concept of, of the sacrificial system, where the people would bring an animal to the temple, that temple would then be, uh, or that, that animal would then be sacrificed by the priest, the, the, the blood of the animal would be 
um, its throat would be slit, and the blood would pour out, and they would splash the blood upon the altar. They would put the animal upon the altar, and that fires of the, the fires of the altar would completely consume that animal. And so in the same way, Paul is saying that as followers of Jesus Christ, this is how we're supposed to give over our lives to the Lord. We're supposed to submit ourselves completely and fully to him. Um, God wants for us, friends, to bring our whole self, that is our whole heart, our whole soul, all of our strength, all, all of who we are, all of our mind, to put everything that we have on the altar, commit it to him, surrender it to him, give it over to him, to be consumed by him. That is, God wants the whole shooting match. He wants the whole nine yards. He wants the whole kit and caboodle. He wants the, he wants the, uh, the, the, the hook, line, and sinker. He wants the whole enchilada, two all beef patty, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions, on a sesame seed bun. That's what the Lord Jesus is looking for. He wants all of us given to him. What God is seeking for, friends, is not a limited partnership in your life, but rather what he's seeking is um, to have a complete takeover of who you are. Friends, this is total surrender. When we can approach God and say, I am yours and all that I have is yours, I give it completely over to you. Total surrender means that I'll go where God tells me to go. It means that I'll do what God tells me to do. It means that I'll live the way God tells me to live, that I'll act the way God tells me to act, that I'll say whatever God asks me to say, and that I will do all of this, not anticipating a series of negotiations with God, but rather anticipating my full acceptance of God's orders. That is, that I'll respond to God with no hesitation, that I'll respond to God with no whining, that I'll respond to God with no objections, just complete and total surrender of everything that I have to him and, and take his orders as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Now, this is exactly what Abraham did when God asked him to leave his homeland. Abraham didn't stand there and stomp his feet and have a, try to have some sort of a, a negotiation with God and say, well, God, I'll give you this, but I don't know if I can give you that. When God said, hey, Abraham, I want you to leave your homeland, Abraham said, sure, okay, when are we leaving? Uh, Noah, when, same thing with him. When God asked him to build the ark, Noah complied completely and jumped right on board with God's marching orders. This is what David did when God asked him to go out and face Goliath. This is what Mary, the mother of Jesus, did when God asked her to become the conduit for the virgin birth. This is what Paul did at the outset of each of his missionary journeys. And this is what each and every great man and woman of God down through the ages have done. They have submitted themselves, placed themselves fully on the altar of God and said, my life to you, holding nothing back completely for your consumption. Consider my life as a living sacrifice. This is the one thing that all of these people had in common, and that is that they were totally surrendered to Jesus Christ. They all said, Lord, just, let, just tell me what you want me to do, and I'll do it. I won't negotiate the consequences. I'll leave those to you. Folks, this is what God is looking for from you and me. If we want God to use our lives like he did the Apostle Paul, if we want God to reward our lives like he did Abraham, we must satisfy this condition of total, complete surrender. Now you say, Gordon, I think I understand, but I got a couple of questions for you. Okay, fair enough. Fire away. You say, well, question number one that I've got is, um, as a follower of Christ, do I have to be fully surrendered in order to get to heaven? Like if you look at that, that, that timeline of Paul's life as he was born again, and then somewhere down the line, he becomes mature, he becomes love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, right? The Lord was working that out in his life and taking him closer and closer and making him more and more Christ-like. Like, do I have to be fully surrendered in order to have salvation in order to have justification, in order to keep my spot 
in heaven? And the answer to that is the simple answer to that is no. No, you don't have to be fully surrendered to Jesus in order to keep your spot in heaven. Friends, your spot in heaven is secured by what Jesus did on the cross, not by what you do. The Lord Jesus died on the cross and he said, it's finished. It's all done. Everything that had to be done is done. And all we have to do is accept what the Lord Jesus did in our life. And then we have eternal life in heaven. May I say to you that if you're here today and you've never entered into a real and personal relationship with Jesus Christ, that this is an important thing for you to know. That trying to keep the good commandment or the Ten Commandments or trying to, 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 to observe the golden rule or something like that or trying to go to church and trying to work at the soup kitchen. I mean, all those are wonderful things to do, friends. Nothing wrong with doing those things, but they're not going to preserve you some spot in heaven. They're not going to earn you some spot in heaven. What earns you the spot in heaven is what Jesus did on the cross and then you accepting that into your life. And so total surrender isn't going to earn you that spot in heaven. Again, it's what Jesus did what is what earns you that spot. You then appropriate that by asking of his forgiveness of your sins. So do you have to be totally surrendered to God to get to heaven? The answer is no. You say, okay, well, then I got a second question. And that is, I've had some really bad experiences with surrendering myself. Uh, I had a really awful boss. I had a domineering mother. I had a dad who was, who was ugly. Um, I had a, uh, a, a dictatorial husband. And, and so I understand that. I can understand the idea of surrendering ourselves to somebody else and giving the control of our lives over to somebody else. That could be a really difficult thing for some of us. And some of those experiences of surrender that we've had in the past have kind of soured us to the idea of somebody else pulling the strings and somebody else taking the wheel, somebody else being in control of our life. But the difference between that situation and this is the character of the person to whom you are surrendering. Uh, this father is unlike perhaps the father that you had in this earth, your heavenly father. Uh, this God whom you are surrendering to is a God who can see the end from the beginning. This God in heaven whom you're surrendering to is a God who wants the very best for you, a God who is loving and merciful. We sang about his goodness this morning. This is somebody who you can entrust yourself to and entrust your life to. This is not a God who gets his kicks out of ruling over you or feeds his ego by, um, by telling you what to do. This is the holy God of the universe that you're surrendering to, the God who loves you so much that he was willing to give his own life for you. And so, friends, the only thing that God wants for you to do when he surrenders you is he wants you to surrender your life so that he can maximize your life for him, for the building up of his kingdom. He's not going to abuse that surrender. Instead, he will use that surrender to get you to the place that you are functioning at the maximum for the Lord Jesus. So if you've had some bad experiences in the past with giving somebody else control of your life, or letting somebody else have control of your life, friends, need not worry about that with this person whom you're entrusting your life to. You say, okay, well, I got one more question. Paul made this commitment to God, right? Yeah. And he ended up in prison for doing it, right? Yeah. And he ended up in hardship? Yeah. And his life became very difficult? Yeah. And he suffered a whole lot for doing this. That's correct. You say, well, then why in the world would I want to do this, right? Well, I mean, you're a terrible salesman, Gordon, using the Apostle Paul and his life as an example of somebody who, uh, who, would, who would, we would want to emulate. Listen to what Paul went through. Because I think it's important that we understand, as the Holy Spirit instructed Paul, remember the Holy Spirit came to Paul and said, hey, look, you're going to have all these bad things that are going to happen to you in every town that you come to. 
And so listen to what happened to the Apostle Paul. He talks about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, middle verse 23. I think it's important for us to know up front what surrender is going to mean for us. He says, middle verse 23, because of my total surrender to God, I've had to work harder. That is, I've had greater labors, far more imprisonments with countless beatings, often near death. Verse 24, five times, he says, I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes. The Lord Jesus received it once. Paul received it five times. Verse 25, three times I was beaten with rocks or with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. Verse 26, on frequent journeys, he said, I experienced dangers in rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. Verse 27, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, I experienced hunger, I experienced thirst, often without food and cold and exposed. Friends, this is what we can expect when we surrender our life completely over to the Lordship of Christ. He's going to consume it. He's not going to take your life and say, okay, let me just make everything great for you and give you gravy for the rest of your life. Now, he's going to use you. And friends, oftentimes the way that he uses us is through our own suffering, through our own hardships. And the Lord's going to carry us through that. You say again then, why? Why would I want to do this? Well, friends, when we make total surrender, a commitment in our life, again, God does not promise he's going to send us to places where we want to go, but what he promises is that he has a perfect plan for our life, and that if we follow it, he will put us in the place and doing the things and saying the things that maximize our gifts and our talents for eternal purpose. God's going to make the substance of your life count on into eternity. That's why. That's why you and I need to understand the cost when we're going through what we're going through, when we're suffering the way that we're suffering. People who make this kind of total commitment, total surrender commitment, their reason for doing it is not to get an easy life. The reason for doing it is not to get a comfortable and cushy life. The reason for doing it is not to get convenience. The reason for doing it is because they want for God to use their lives to the fullest. And friends, that's what we see in the life of the Apostle Paul. They want God to wring out of their life everything that he possibly can, and if it costs them some pain, and it costs them some hardship, and it costs them some suffering, then for them, it's worth the cost. Now, friends, I'm not naive enough to think that every follower of Christ is going to make this kind of a commitment, but let me tell you who does. The followers of Christ who make this commitment to be totally surrendered are the people who desire the blessings of God more than they desire the ease and the comforts of life. The people who make this commitment are the people who value God using them more than they value convenience and human safety. The people who make this commitment are the people who want the eternal rewards of heaven more than they want the rewards and applause of men here on earth. And so my prayer is to ask you, are you willing to make that kind of a commitment? For your life to be wrung out everything poured out as a living sacrifice to be used up for God's glory and for his eternal purposes. I got one more question. Maybe you hadn't thought of it, but I thought of it as I was working through this, and that simple question is, how? How do I do this? How do I 
surrender. Say, I want to do this. How do I surrender my life to Jesus Christ? Friends, it happens in an instant. It happens simply by you and I saying to the Lord Jesus, here's my life. I give it to you. When I was 12 years old, I went away to youth camp. It was my first year at summer church camp. And uh, I remember the second or third night of camp, um, I was there and I was sitting in the back with my friends and I had, as I had done several times. And uh, I just remember the Lord speaking to my heart that he wanted, to, wanted me to come forward at the end of the service and he wanted me to pray. And I don't know what the Lord was planning on accomplishing by me coming forward. I didn't see why I needed to step out in front of my friends and walk down an aisle and be seen by, by them. I didn't understand why I would need to do something like that. But the Lord just kept pressing on my heart that I needed to do this. And so I said, okay, God, I'll put myself in a position tomorrow night right? Where if, if I'm still feeling this way, then I'll be more ready to do that, more apt to do that. And so I remember sitting in the third row inside aisle, and a fellow preached, and he got through with the message, and he gave an invitation for people to come forward. And they were, as they were singing, I closed my eyes, and I said, Lord, I, just, I don't know that this is really you. I don't know if this is something I ate earlier today. I don't, I don't know what it is that I'm experiencing right now, but if this is your voice, Lord, um, then you give me a sign, right? Because I need, I need to know. And so I, I did one of these things with my eyes closed, head scratcher. I said, Lord, I tell you what, there's a guy sitting in front of me, right? And when I open my eyes, if the guy sitting in front of me steps out and he starts heading out, well, I'll, I'll follow behind him. And just as soon as I prayed that prayer, I opened my eyes and the guy in front of me, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> he stepped out. Um. And I remember stepping out right behind him, never hesitated, never held anything back at 12 years of age. And before I even got to the front, the Lord said to me, he said, Gordon, as I'm walking, he said, follow me and I'll make you a fisherman. In that moment, in an instant, I surrendered my life to Christ. You know, friends, we could spend our lives on us. We could spend our lives on entertainment. We could spend our lives on so many things that the world says, this is what's going to fulfill you. This is what's going to make you happy. This is what's going to bring the joy into your life. Only total surrender to Christ is ever going to bring you fulfillment, love, joy, peace patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for speaking to us this morning from your word. We thank you for the life of the Apostle Paul, one among many who have given their life completely over to you. Lord, there may be some here among us today who have been contemplating this decision, who have been thinking about giving their lives completely to you, and Lord Jesus, maybe this morning, in an instant, in a moment, they're ready. Or we ask for obedience for those. Others of us, Lord, have given our lives over to you at some point in the past, but we've brought it back under our own control. We've grabbed the wheel, we've taken the reins, and we're not surrendered like we were years before. And so again, Lord, this morning, we need to say in a moment, in an instant, my life belongs to you. I place it back on that altar as a living 
sacrifice. Lord, as we gather around this table today to remember your shed blood and your broken body, we pray that your Holy Spirit would instruct our hearts, that you would lead us to pray the prayer that leads us to love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control, the things, Lord, we so long for in this life. Lord, that you would consume our lives and make an eternal difference for you. Lord, speak to us this morning as we share around this table. We pray these things in Christ's holy name. Amen.